Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, July 22nd. You can't stop us from doing two shows a week, airlines, with your flight cancellations, wrecking everyone's plans. We're, we're going to power right through. Two episodes, back-to-back days. On this episode, we're focusing a lot on hitters for the second half, talking about some possible pickups, also some players you could be trading for, really searching for players who could be bouncing back from disappointing first halves. And we're using projections to do that. Plus, Eno dug into the pie slice rule, looking for some players that might benefit from that. Always fun to talk about pie and love the name of the rule, love the spirit of the rule. Hope it's something that we actually see uh, sooner rather than later at higher levels. Currently being experimented with in the Florida State League. And if we have time, we'll talk about the Marlins and some of the woes they're going through offensively, which Don Mattingly seems to be attributing to a lineup full of players that are mostly the same. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong about that, especially with you know, Jazz Chisholm on the IL and John Birdie on the IL right now. But let's start with the topic uh, at the top, the bats for the second half. You know, I put together a giant spreadsheet. I took the rest of season projections from the Bat X. I took the year-to-date earn value so far in the Fangraphs auction calculator for a 12-team league. And I calculated... Uh, A number that looks at the difference between those two, looking for players who are projected to be a lot better than they were in the first half and change of the season, which it it, not surprisingly, the difference, the positive difference, guys, the players who are going to be better going forward than they've been so far are a mix of prospects and injured players, right? Guys that either didn't play in the first half or played very poorly in the first half have very low values, but that are projected to have good or great values in the second half of the season. So how do you feel about the methodology here? Did I do something that was actually useful or did I just make a pretty spreadsheet with a lot of colors on it? (laughs) I I like it. I like it. I like also the idea that um, you kind of want three greens or at least uh, one white and three greens uh, to line up to, to get what you want. Because like, for example, Josh Smith is on here, and uh, he's projected for uh, to be basically replacement level. He's been really bad. It's not that impressive to get up to replacement level from really bad, <laughs> it's, or at least it's not that useful uh, to us. And then, you know, as you get further down the list, when you get the uh, kind of green across the board... Um, I think those are almost a little bit less like super green across the board. Those are almost less useful too, because, um, you know, JD Martinez has earned, uh, you know, $8 so far projected for another level and 11. That's a pretty mild buy low. If you ask me, you know, um, you know, so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of sort of feeling your way through this, but just to have all those names in front of you, um, 
you know, I think it's pretty useful. I mean, I, I used a different method where I just uh, created the Fangraphs, uh, a Fangraphs custom board where I had uh, O swing or chase rate on there, barrel rate, max EV, and hard hit rate. Um, and I just ser- sorted by barrel rate and looked for people who had poor isolated slugging numbers. Um, but, you know, one of the people I found on there that I really liked uh, for the second half was Brandon Belt. So I went over and looked at your sheet. And um, Brandon Belt has earned minus $4. Uh, and he's projected for $0.40 cents more. So it's a it's a, a question of, I think, the depth of your league. Um, because that replacement level uh, becomes more valuable. But I think Brandon Belt is... It, you know, there's also a question of like... Are we talking about buying low you're trading or or is this a guy you can pick up off the wire? And I think Belt is available on the wire in some leagues and um, someone you should look up to pick up. I think, you know, compare Belt uh, to Votto, um, you know, I'd almost rather have Belt even though this system um, spits out Votto is, is slightly more likely to be valuable. Yeah, I think your on-again, off-again situation with Joey Votto is uh, pretty tough to to deal with because you you have him in a 12-team league, you were telling me before the show, and that threshold's a lot different than a 15-team league as far as when you would move on from a player like this. The projections point to him being good enough even in a 12 where you wouldn't want to make that move, but what are you seeing more recently? Because we talked about him with some of the struggles earlier in the season, he went back to old bats, I believe, after trying to change his bat. Looked like he was sort of putting it back together. And then looking at the last 30 days, he's been about 20% worse than league average. He's got like one homer in his last 69 plate appearances. So it's been an up and down ride so far for Votto. What's making you feel like it's time to actually let him go, at least in these more shallow formats? I did one of those rolling graphs on fan graphs where I just looked at hard hit rate and WOBA and nothing else. And they, uh, they track really closely. I think that's partially because of some of the inherent bias in the hard hit rate that is in those graphs. It's not the stat cast hard hit rate is the stat. It's the hard hit rate that's done by stringers. So of course, uh, you know, if you're getting hits, uh, those look hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? To a stringer, that's a, sort of an inherent bias there. But uh, they tracked uh, really closely, and what I saw was there was a rise in hard hit rate and woba. Um, that was the kind of oh, he put the bat away and everything's good again, uh, and that that went away. And there's a little bit of a, a second rise coming, but that strikeout rate as a as a like a sort of through line for all this just makes me feel like whenever he is hot and whenever he does something good it's just not going to be as good as it used to be because he's going to be striking out a lot yeah and even the bat x which is the projection system i used to run these rest of season numbers has him projected for a strikeout rate 24.3 percent that would be the highest of his career, right? Going forward, if he did that, that'd be even a tick higher than it was a season ago. He's at 26.2% this season so far. So I do think it's fine to adjust expectations downward, uh, but Votto versus Belt is a really close sort of toss-up. We've gone through a few of these over the course of this season. I don't envy your position. You know, If I were in that spot, I'd probably still follow the numbers, maybe to my own peril, Belt's one of those players that I think is just a little underrated because of all the the time that he misses. The projection should ultimately account for that, but I almost wonder if the 
the volume input for the playing time could be slightly off on Bell, and that could be dragging down his rest-of-season value. Because if you look at what he's projected to play for the rest of the season, it's only 50 games, 232 plate appearances at the high end. It seems like that could be a little bit on the light side compared to a few other players. Like Votto's projected for 299 plate appearances. So we're talking about less than a half season. A difference of 60 to 70 plate appearances is actually pretty significant in terms of what that's going to do to all of your counting stats. And don't they have like similar injury risk? Uh, you know, yes, Belt's knee is uh, becoming concerning, but Votto's back is concerning, you know. But you're getting the same swing and miss concerns from Belt, too. Like, the, the profile is just so similar, and it comes without the floor. He's been a little bit steadier, Belt has, with the uh, bad ball production, you know what I mean, in terms of his barrel rates and, um, you know, stuff like that, so... Uh, yeah, his home park is worse, and Vado's home park is great. And if Vado does catch fire, then uh, that'll look silly. But it's a 12-team dynasty, and he's uh, getting near the end of his career. He doesn't have any trade value in the league. Uh, and I needed to activate number five on this list. Actually, because of the headers, he's number four, Tyler <laughs> O'Neill. I needed to activate Tyler O'Neill, and I just think Tyler O'Neill is going to be more valuable to my team. The projections say he's going to be more valuable to my team. Uh, he has more positional versatility in places I need. Um, and so, Tyler O'Neill, come on down. I do think uh, I would trade for Tyler O'Neill. You know, you know, I, I like the number, the top two guys on this list you have Vinny Pascantino and Eloy Jimenez. I think uh, I would love to trade for those guys. Uh, but uh, Tyler O'Neill is projected to be better than them going forward. So if they're all on the table and, and you know, to some extent, Eloy might be harder to get from just what people think of him generally, I think. I think Tyler O'Neill is one of the best by lows because I think people think, oh, that year must be a, must be a fluke. He's injured. He's not doing it this year. Uh, I'll let him go. Yeah, the names that came out at the top, again, looking for the biggest differential between rest-of-season projected value and value earned so far. Vinny Pasquantino at number one, just over 12 bucks. Eloy, also in that range. Uh, O'Neal Cruz, Tyler O'Neill, and Max Muncy in the top five. We've talked about Muncy a few times, just not being healthy, and that's the thing that makes him much more difficult to buy into. He, he showed up as having one of the better bat speeds Am I right? No, he had a he had to have poor bat speed. There were a few Dodgers on that list in that piece that was kind of surprising to me. Have we not talked about that on the podcast yet? No, we should get to that probably on a different episode because oh, it, it almost gotta, merits like a full conversation. Yeah, but if if you hear this and and you're wondering, there is a piece called "What You Need to Know About Statcast Bat Tracking" uh, from Mike Petriello that was really interesting. There's some bat speed stuff in it. And one of the things that came out because it was put in in Houston and um, and L.A. was that you actually have the bat speeds for those players at the best sort of sample size. And Jordan Alvarez and Trace Thompson had the best uh, batting bat speeds on their respective teams. Uh, But Max Muncy uh, had the fourth best among the Dodgers which I was really surprised to see. I was also surprised to see how many Dodgers have below average bat speed, including Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, and last 
among both teams, basically, among the regulars, was Justin Turner. So I think this is pretty valuable information, uh, and it does say something about Max Muncy that I was surprised to see. I thought he would be down where Justin Turner is, that the bat speed would be hurting because of his injury. But it hasn't been the case, uh, according to this uh, bat tracking uh, number. So um, I do. I did hear internally from other analysts that this information... Um, requires a fair amount of washing and cleaning and that um, there's a fair amount of error in it and that this is to caution that this is kind of early going. However, uh, some of that was with regards to uh, tracking sweet spot hitting. I think bat speed itself, uh, they're, they're fairly, feel fairly good about, but they're also trying to tell you how often they actually physically hit it on the sweet spot of the bat and he said that part has the most error so yeah, that makes sense because you're talking about millimeters of on a, on a moving uh, bat but um, that's neither here nor there i think you've decided at this point uh yourself dear listener uh that max muncie is either someone to go acquire or someone you just don't want to bother with right and the price might be even lower now than it was two months ago because now we're sitting on almost four months of underperformance. So he does pop in this particular calculation. Jonathan India, not surprisingly, does pretty well. He missed a lot of time in the first half. Just a well-balanced player who does everything. So I wouldn't have any reservations at all about making a move to get India at this point. Uh, Brandon Lau, who was hurt a lot in the first half, stands out here. You mentioned Josh Smith before. I think in a 15-team league, Josh Smith is fine because he offers up some cheap speed. But he continues to be the kind of player that doesn't hit the ball hard, so I think he's got a, a pretty clear limitation in terms of contact quality. I did get a scouting report on Josh Smith uh, from someone in that organization that I thought was interesting. Uh, a Tommy Listella that can run. Doesn't Tommy Listella hit the ball harder? Yeah, it hasn't been so impressive yet. I would just say, I guess, that, oh, it's been 71 batted ball events for Josh Smith, huh? That's sort of surprising. Yeah, I guess Tommy Lestella doesn't hit the ball that hard. He started to this year in a very limited sample, but historically, that's really not been a strength of his. So maybe that is a really good comp. What's interesting about Smith, too, is that uh, he hits the ball in the air. Like, he has a sort of even ground ball, fly ball mix. So he has the mix of someone that should hit for a little bit of power. Uh, but just not the oomph. <laughs> uh, but someone, I think uh, someone I would uh, watch in sort of deeper dynasties because they're giving him a real chance if, if the batted ball power starts to come through. And now he's also working more closely, I guess, with Donnie Ecker in the major league group uh, as opposed to uh, their hitting coaches in the minor league group. So um, that's somebody I would just watch. Uh, like we said at the beginning, though, uh, he's projected to basically be a replacement level. That does not uh, make him super interesting. Next, after Josh Smith, though, is a guy who showed up on my method, from Neil Reyes. Uh, if you look at uh, the leaders in barrel rate, from Neil Reyes is still 11th in the big leagues. And I know that is not uh, related to strikeout rate. I mean, it is. Uh, this is, I think, barrels on balls in play. So... It does look the other way on his 40% strikeout rate. Uh, but I I did look at Fran Mill Reyes' strikeout rate, um, and the rolling graph of his uh, strikeout rate is improving. He had, like, basically the worst uh, maybe 30, 40-game stretch of his career uh, when it comes to strikeout rate. 
uh, early this season. He settled in a little bit closer to like 35%. Uh, however, his reach rate is uh, actually trending upwards. So the, he's all kinds of mess at the plate right now. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't tell you we're totally wrong to just avoid the situation, but if you're looking for power, and there's a fair amount of people like that who are looking for power, given what happened with the the ball this year, uh, you know, I don't. I think Tyler O'Neill and Framo Reyes are like your. I got to take a shot at somebody that might just hit like 15 homers the rest of the way. You know. Yeah, I think I would look at Jorge Soler in a similar light, and I think there's a little less swing and miss in that profile, even though his K rate is up compared to where it was last year. I can deal with a 29% K rate. With Reyes, the rolling graph is interesting because while in the last probably 50 or so games or plate appearances, I think this is what the, yeah, this is plate appearance, or games, no, it's games across the bottom, it is trending back in the right direction. But when you take a look at the multi-year view, the three-year view, the peaks and valleys are still generally trending in the wrong direction. Like even though it's not as bad as it has been at its worst this season. Frenmil Reyes' long-term K rate is pretty clearly on the rise. So yeah. I think he's one of those players that is probably going to swing his way out of the league a little more uh, rapidly than you'd expect based on how good the peak was. And it almost reads like a like a bit of a hole, right? Yeah, like he's been he's been solved and there doesn't seem to be a, a counter adjustment that he can make. Yeah. And he's tried, you can see even as the K rate has ro- has gone up, that you can see you know, times when his reach rate and his chase rate goes down. Um, and uh, that's been good for him, but it's hasn't arrested the increase in strikeout rate. You know what I mean? It hasn't been like, oh, he stopped chasing balls and then the strikeout rate came down. They're sort of like he stopped chasing balls and the strikeout rate kept going up. So, you know, maybe this new thing where he's chasing balls is him trying to like, maybe he's a guy that they figured out you can pitch at the top of the zone. Um, but, uh, and, and so he has to actually go get those balls and try to do something with them in order to prove that he doesn't have a hole at the top of the zone. But I don't know. It seems like a big mess. I, I think just personally with a 40% strikeout rate, uh, I I'd rather try, uh, O'Neill or Solaire first if, uh, if I had a list and then, you know, Pasquantino is really interesting too. Uh, do you, I, I, it's hard to tell when the kind of this shine comes off. Um, you know, a listener was asking me if I'd rather have Pascantino or, or Gorman. And, you know, with the positional value, and this is in a dynasty situation, with the positional value, it's probably Gorman, but it depends a little bit about well, how my infield looks because just on bat, Pascantino has actually hit a ball harder than Gorman and has a similar barrel rate and has a 17% strikeout rate. I think, you know, if the bloom has come off the rose uh, for Vinny, uh, and sometimes it can happen really quickly, uh, I think he's a buy low too. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think with Gorman, what's going to be challenging to figure out is how much of the AAA strikeout rate last year was Gorman figuring some things out and how much of it was AAA in 2021, especially in the second half of the season, being really depleted. Time will tell, right? But he's so young for the level, so young for someone who's debuted with this much power. Sorry. You're going to boo me? Why are you booing me? I hate that phrase. Sorry. Which phrase? Time will tell. 
Well, I mean, you do have to wait to get the answer here. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. It's like a right. That was like a. It's like a. It was a writing response. It's like a, I'm not allowed to not allowed to write it. So anytime I see it, I'm like, boo. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. Don't write the way people talk. Rule yeah, right that's a good point. Yeah, I think when talking, it's not as bad. You know? <laughs> There's stuff broadcasters say all the time that you can't write when you're trying to put a, a column together. Good news for Gorman is that, you know, if you look at his per game thing, the, the the chase rate is just going down. So he came into the league pressing to be like, hey, you know, I belong here. Uh, and the chase rate has gone from 40% to 30% in, you know, 50 games. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing with this is if you go back and you look at someone like Austin Riley, who was also young for levels going through the minor league system in Atlanta it showed mm. some flashes of making the K rate better in his brief time at AAA before big he came up power. in 2019 big raw power and you look at the hitter that he has become mm-hmm. I think that's the sort of ceiling you can you can tell yourself that Nolan Gorman has and I think it comes back to how much do you believe in Vinny Pasquantino's hit tool versus Nolan Gorman's power and plate skills. Like there's power in, in Pasquantino's profile too, but it might be more average power. Like it might be the 20 home run power, which is mm-hmm. fine. If he's going to hit 290 while doing it, which is possible. I don't know, man. He's hit a ball 112, you know, like, I don't know. I think Vinny might have plus power. 60% hard hit rate early on for Vinny Pasquantino. Right. Too. Like it's all, it looks pretty good. And like the barrel rates are pretty similar. I do think that Gorman might be able to settle in around 24, 25% strikeout rate. Um, uh, and Zips Zips kind of believes in that. And that that means his batting averages would be a little bit safer than it looks right now. So, um, yeah, with the positional thing in there, I think it's probably Gorman by a nose. But I did want to throw that out there because Pascantino, like, uh, you know, especially in redraft leagues, could, could be a buy low guy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One more player to throw out there, and it's possible to like both. We're just talking about one versus the other because you were asked a question about those two players specifically. Mm. I think those players both have bright long-term futures. Nick Castellanos pops again, and this time last year, he was one of the more uh, highly projected bats for the rest of the season, who I felt like via trade didn't require nearly as much as he should have required. Same sort of circumstances here, just in terms of how he projects compared to how I expect him to project. But this time we've got some pretty significant pullback in what he's done 
so far this season. We're seeing Nick Castellanos swing at more pitches outside the zone than he's ever done before, right? He's always had a good hit tool, and the power has sort of grown over the last five or six years. Hard hit rate's down. Barrel rate also down. Is he healthy? Is this a player that's been pressing, trying to earn every dollar of that new contract? I mean, what do you make of what's happened through the first 90-ish games now for Castellanos in Philly? And is he as much of a decent by low or positive regression candidate as this this search seems to indicate? I, I think the Harper injury came at the worst time because what he what Castellanos really needed to do and I'm trying to sort of read this graph is that he really needed to settle down and become basically go back to who he was right now. He is literally, he's literally chasing at more balls than he has in the last three years, you know, and it's been a steady march upwards. And if you just graph his, his, his chase rate against his Woba, it's very obvious. One keeps just keep going up. The other keeps going down. And I think that with Harper, the Harper injury, it's like, you know, everyone's sort of looking in his direction. You know, there are, there are other producers on that team. He's not the only one, but he, you know, if he went, got hot, it would make, it would make up for a lot of the missing Harper offensive production. So I, the sort of 15 game rolling average chart does not uh, give me a lot of, of uh, confidence. Your, uh, your chart points out rightfully that he has been uh, valuable so far um, and that he should be more valuable in the future. So just a straight projection-based approach uh, says yes, uh, that he's a good buy low. And even with the increased aggressiveness on those pitches outside the zone, the K rate's 24.7%. He has a plus hit tool. I mean, he has a really good hit tool. Yeah, it's almost like in some ways it's working against him right now because the, the mm. quality of the contact is down. He's getting to pitches and swinging at pitches that he shouldn't be hitting, but he's hitting them and just not doing damage, which is a more probably a more correctable flaw than not being able to do damage. Just like put that quote from Juan Soto in my piece about in front of him. It was like, you know, Juan Soto was in high A and he was like, yeah, I just looked at my slugging percentage outside the zone and my slugging percentage inside the zone. I thought, hey, I, I should stop swinging pitches outside the zone. <laughs> <laughs> I think league wide, the slugging percentage on pitches outside the zone is under 200 and inside the zone is over, is over 400, like maybe over 500. Well, yeah, it was that the game uh, on Thursday night, Dodgers Giants game where I think it was... Uh, Eduardo Perez on the broadcast said when Barry Bonds was a hitting coach, his advice was to swing at strikes and then I can help you with your swing. And it's like, oh, yes. Well, that's also a little look advice. into also a little look into why the best players are not always uh, the best coaches. <laughs> just swing yeah. at strikes, dude. I mean, I, that's I was saying the same thing, but it, like I could see Barry just being like, you know, well, if you can't do it as, as good as I can, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> Until you start swinging only at strikes, I can't fix you. So do <laughs> that first and then come back and see me and we can talk some more <laughs> it's like michael jordan just being like just hit the open shots <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so hopefully some help in that group uh say a suzuki looks kind of interesting too another injured guy that i just think across the board can do a little bit of everything i know the cubs are yeah probably paring down the roster even more but playing time's not a concern could just be a quietly productive player uh, in the final two months of the season so I'm buying Suzuki. 
Um, I'm buying uh, Tyler O'Neill. I'm buying. I'm buying Vinny P. I'm buying Eloy. If someone will let me, I just feel like it would be harder to get him. Um, I'm picking up uh, Eddie Rosario in deeper leagues. I found myself doing that. I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea that here's a guy who had a poor chase rate that apparently couldn't see the ball. <laughs> you know? So, uh, what if he could see the ball? Um, and, uh, you know, and one other name that showed up when I did, and you know, it's actually kind of fascinating how many uh, players are on our, both of our lists. Like, you know, I did this list where I just, I sorted by Braille rate. I'm just basically looking at people who have below 200 ISOs, right? And I'm like, if you have a, if you have a top 50, top 30 barrel rate, you should probably have, uh, you know, an ISO, an isolated slugging percentage over 200 because league average isolated slugging is like 160, or 150, I think it's gone down. So, um, you know, the guys that popped uh, on this list pretty quickly are like Gallo, uh, Voigt, Franmil, uh, you know, those are those are some guys we've already, we've talked about some of them. Acuna, which, you know, good luck buying low sure. on Acuna. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, Go there get him. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Max Muncy's on this list. Um, Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler. So uh, those are some of your uh, traditional guys. Um, but one guy, uh, you know, I always want to, cause I, you know, Hey, shout out to the people that shook my hand at the all-star game and in Chicago, uh, it was great to see you. Please do approach me. Um, I'm, you know, I, am always uh, willing to talk baseball. I love, uh, hearing from people what they like about their podcasts and, uh, what they, they usually don't tell me what they don't like, <laughs> but Hey, why not? If it's, if it's, if it's comes, uh, with a nice handshake, then I'll take it. But, um, uh, uh, so I did talk to a couple people that, uh, play in some pretty deep leagues. So I wanted to throw a deep league, uh, name out there for you. Jake Berger is currently hurt, uh, but he's in the top 25 for barrel rate on the season. He does strike out a little bit too much, not a great plate approach, uh, defensively, you know, you're going to have to see how he fits in. However, um, I think the White Sox are looking for offense, you know. And so, you know, it's possible that Jake Berger, uh, when he gets back, um, you know, finds some sort of uh, maybe part-time uh, playing situation where they can take advantage of his power. So um, I don't, I, I'm not sure of that one, uh, but I did see that he was owned in less than 5% of Yahoo League's um, and, uh, if you, particularly if you have a daily league and you're looking to just pick up somebody that might give you some more power, uh, I think burgers is an interesting guy. The other name that's kind of interesting is a ton of the players we're talking about are guys that don't run much or at all. I mean, Tyler O'Neill will run some Javier Baez always comes up for me in these mid season searches when things are bad. It seems like it's reasonably easy to trade for him. And one thing I didn't realize, cause I don't think I have him anywhere this year Baez is down to a 24.1% strikeout rate that's the best strikeout rate that he's had since 2016 I don't know if that's necessarily going to hold because his O swing is as bad it's still as the ever worst been. you know it's the worst of his career I think <laughs> yeah so I wonder if part of what I was suggesting with Castellanos could be happening with Baez right the increased reach is happening because he's trying to make something happen team struggling first year with a new club big contract just trying to do things and then as a result the barrel rates down night the ball is hard because he's making contact and hitting bad pitches only nine homers and three steals so far but if you told me Baez is going to get back to being himself he's going to hit 
250 with a low OBP and maybe get you double-digit homers and double-digit steals the rest of the way with a high volume of counting stats because he plays every day. I don't think I'd push back on that. Yeah, and there's you know in the rolling graphs, there's been a concerted effort by him to reduce his uh, chase rate. So there obviously seems to be some sort of adjustment going on. And the one thing that is always true of him is that he's super streaky. I mean, if you just look at the graph for 2021, uh, he was pretty awful for the beginning part of the season, and then he was kind of white hot to end the season. You know. And you can kind of almost see a in his in his day to day woba. You can see pretty awful for the you know the first fifty games. Uh, you know had a nice little hot stretch, came back to earth again. But I think he has that if he follows last year, he's got another hot stretch in him, and it could be pretty amazing. So uh, he's not my type of player. But when you are in the buy low neighborhood, um, you're you're kind of looking to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit. And, uh, I mean, he's the definition of that. Yeah. So another name to think about. Hopefully that opened up some opportunities for you on the trade front. If you're in the league that lets you make moves, let's talk about the pie slice rule, because I don't think we've really discussed that in detail on this show. And I think the easiest way to explain what the pie slice rule is, is to imagine a line on each side of the second base bag that extends out to the outfield grass. And then you have this triangle with sort of a rounded top around the infield dirt that looks like a pie slice, right? You got the crust at the back of the dirt. You got the the part of the base where the, the inside part of the pie would be. Well, the rule would be that no defenders would be allowed to stand in that space. So the batted ball up the middle would actually be much more likely to become a hit again. That'd be a a spot where you're not allowed to shift. And I really like this idea as a way of, of just not eliminating defensive manipulations completely, but just saying there's a few spots where you can't stand. You can get close to there. And if you've got the range to get in there, okay, great. We'll see what happens. This is being tested in the Florida State League, but if they implemented this for 2023 in Major League Baseball, you know, I don't think I'd really have any problem with it. The one thing that kind of, uh, you know, kind of, mm, ah, like kind of, mm, the one thing that doesn't, it's the first time they would draw some lines on the ground and say no defender can stand here. It's a little different. I mean, if you wanted to put your first baseman in foul ground to start this, to start, you know, you can. You could, but so I think of it kind of like uh, someone explained this as uh, like modifications in the NBA, right? You have mm-hmm. different lines on the floor, restricted areas where defenders can't go, the three second rule, all those different things that have been implemented over time. This seems in that vein. This seems appropriate. This seems like a small step as opposed to saying you know, no shifts at all like that. That's a bigger adjustment. I think this at least is one step toward that without going too far. What's funny is that this kind of is the next step because what they did was, and this is, uh, there's a piece that uh, I helped Stark, Jason Stark on a little bit, but he, he did all the work. Um, I just did a, a little picture so you can see what the pie slice looks like. Um, the, uh, and I also heard some stuff, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the, the thing that's going on with the pie slice is they tried the thou shalt not shift and said, you have to have two on each side, um, and they can't be on the outfield dirt and outs percentage of outs converted, uh, percentage of ground balls turned into outs went up 
<laughs> I would say really it stayed the same. What we said, what, what we found was um, the teams would still put their second baseman basically standing on the grass, like, you know, as far as they could into the hole uh, on against lefties. So that second baseman is standing pretty close to the first baseman ha- far into the hole. And then they would just have their shortstop stand on the bag, basically, at second base. And even sometimes float into uh, into the other space once the ball was pitched. So what happens is the ball at the middle is, is an out, and the pulled ground ball is an out, and so everything's still outs. And then so what they try to do with the pie slice is say, no, you can't just stand, you can't stand right behind the bag and, and gobble up all these balls at the middle. We want those to be hits. And that's the part where I kind of like it. Because we tell people in Little League, we tell people in college, we tell, I think aesthetically it makes sense. And in, in fact, it makes sense a little bit with hitting philosophies uh, that, a, that, a, that a hit up the middle is good. That means that you're, you're basically matching the pitcher is throwing it to you down the middle and you're hitting it back up the middle, you know? And, uh, and so I think that we still aesthetically and from our training and from what we know from when we played baseball, we think, oh man, he scalded that one up the middle. Shortstop standing there, you know? Um, and, and it's like that weird feeling of like, oh, but that's what we were taught to do. And so I like that idea of like, hey, let's let's bring this back. Let's bring the single up the middle back because we're taught to do it. It seems like a good idea. It seems like a good idea for how you should hit. And uh, we've been taught that it's a good idea and, and it, it's, it's beautiful. And, and it would also take, it would actually do something. You know, like the the other rule that we tried didn't do anything. So why ban the shift if it doesn't change uh, anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that part I like, and I and I'm pretty interested in it. So I did a a query here, um, where I just basically asked uh, who hits ground balls and line drives up the middle. Uh, I you know you could do this in a tighter fashion where you actually try to uh, you know use the angles that are provided in Statcast to like actually you know get the pie slice, but in fact I don't think that uh, players control balls in play to that level. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's nobody being like I'm aiming for the pie slice. <laughs> <laughs> So I think actually just asking who hits ground balls and line drives up the middle, you're going to start to get a sense of who is it. And I, I'll read you, how about I read you the top 10? Because it's it's pretty interesting. Um, there is a type that we would be rewarding and it may not be, uh, it, it's, it, um, let me just read the names. Ahmed Rosario, Nikki Lopez, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, DJ LeMahieu, Alex Verdugo, J.P. Crawford, Juan Soto, our first power hitter, Rafael Devers, Eric Hosmer, Vlad Guerrero Jr. I'll, go, I'll do a couple more. Rymel Tapia, Tim Anderson, Bo Bichette, Tommy Edmond, and Jose Iglesias. Yuli Gurriel. That's a weird group of players. Uh, I think there's actually a common thread. But I think it's weird that there's They're this not mix power of, hitters. <laughs> but the power hitters that get in there are pretty strange. Like just well, the, they're also included. guys that go oppo some, right? Mm-hmm. Like these aren't the these aren't your big pull hitter guys. Juan Soto goes oppo, Devers goes oppo. 
But yeah, Ahmed Rosario and DJ LeMahieu. It's easy to see the similarities in their approaches. Yeah, I mean, there were so many of these guys. Uh, they're just spray hitting guys without power for the most part. Bobuchet goes oppo, but he has, you know, he has he's somewhere in between the guys with power and the guys without power. But a lot of these guys have no power. Um, what do you think that means, though? Do we do we want more of those types of players? I I think it'll help their batting averages. Maybe, uh, you know, to some extent, and this is going away from fantasy, and this is a little bit of a question of what you want when you watch baseball. To some extent, I could actually see it, you know, because like, you know, Omar Vizquel, like you could have a guy who's really good at defense and who can just uh, hit the ball up the middle and they become more viable if you do the pie slice thing, right? Like Nicky Lopez is probably has one foot in baseball and one foot out. But with this rule... He's more likely to play. And he's the type of guy who would hit, maybe with this pie slice rule, let's give him uh, let's give him a big boost. Let's say he hits 280, 290, uh, steals you 25 bags, plays good short side. Doesn't that sound a little bit like a Vizquel or something? Like a like an old school player? It, it would be an old school player. It's not yeah. with, without power. I think that I think that's what we want a little bit. We want guys who put the ball in play and fly around the bases. I think this is actually a good list. I think what's going to happen is you're still going to see you're still going to see a lot. Of, maybe more teams will will take this approach and use players like this because if you if you look at Nicky Lopez's projection right now for the rest of the season, two forty seven, three hundred three, three hundred eight. I mean that's like no power there at all. But you said he's going to hit two eighty, so you got to bump his OBP up a bit too, right? If he goes from two high two forties to two eighty, it's like a three thirty OBP. That changes where he hits in the lineup. He's also a good runner. A lot of these guys are, are at least they're good runners. average runners, and some of them are very good runners. And they're good defenders. So I mean, suddenly those players maybe become top-of-the-order players that yeah. are table setters, and maybe your table setters can steal more bases again because they're they're going to take those bigger, risks. Bigger bags. They're changing the rules. There's pitch clocks. I mean, this this could actually work. You know, if what you wanted was more balls in play, more guys running around, you know, more old school, you know, athleticism first type guys, this could work. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is the type of list. These are the type of players that you look at normally and be like, nah. <laughs> you don't want too many guys like this, especially no, on a fantasy don't. team. But, but even, even in a real life lineup, I think you generally feel okay having one maybe two of these guys if the defense is really good and depending on who your alternatives are but i think this kind of scratches at something that don mattingly is dealing with right now in miami where the marlins especially with jazz chisholm and john birdie on the il are a one note song offensively they are a team that relies very heavily on the long ball and the homer and then they don't do much else and i think giving teams more ways to construct a roster that can be competitive is a good thing having more strategies is a good thing like we probably have hit the the optimization point with swinging away and this would help to begin to reverse that trend it's not going to flip it by itself but this is the kind of tweak that's not radical that at least starts to open up more possibilities so i'm I'm on board it's an amazing it's an amazing group of players that you know, aren't valued by the t- by the league for the most part. I mean, yes, you know, Crawford kind of fluffy. If you play, you know, these are short stops and and stuff like that. But like, 
I think most people are like, why trade for Rymel Tapia? You know, like, uh, and uh, Jose Iglesias is no good, and Yuli Gurriel is overrated, or whatever you want to say. And, um, you know, so, you know, to some extent, some teams have gone in on this. Like, Luis Arias is on this list at 20. He's found his way towards uh, more playing time over time, right? Um, and they've they've been, been generally been like, you know, you're so different from Miguel Sano. Maybe we should have both you guys on our team, you know. Um, and I would say that Isaiah kind of for for the the Yankees is the same way. It's like, well, we have a bunch of guys who are going to walk and and hit homers. What if we had a guy who would just put the ball in play um, and, and play some good shortstop? So I think there's been some you know teams that have been like, hey, let's have at least one of these guys in our lineup. Uh, but I think generally uh, we've gone away from them. What you know, in terms of what is actionable here for people going forward, I think you should act like the smart teams and have one or two, and not pay much for them, but enjoy them. You know, like if J.P. Crawford next year gets a, another offensive boost from this, um, you know, then. You know, he could hit 280 and have 10 homers and five steals. That would be his best offensive year. Um, it wouldn't be something that you'd want to be like, I'm featuring this guy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really pushing him. I'm trying to get a ton of a ton of shares. But if you kind of looked at this list and said, you know, you know, some of these guys are going to fall. I'm going to, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick one of these guys or two of these guys, you know, late in my drafts. And a lot of them have positional versatility too. So like, you know, maybe I'll just cover some of my backup positions with, uh, with somebody off this list. Um, You know, Adam Frazier, uh, Miles Straw, Whit Merrifield. A lot of these guys are going to be cheap next year. They're not having good seasons. Yeah, and these are good players just to help with the batting average category, just to yeah. give you a little bit of a, a lift there and maybe be more competitive in that category than you'd be if you had too many players that are not like that. Yeah, so I, I think it's worth uh, uh, you know keeping an eye on this list. And then, you know, I think in the context of the, the Marlins, you know, they're, they're talking about how they're going to make changes. You know, I, I think you have to wait on, on on John Birdie, you know, you can't just make him healthy and, and call him up. But um, I do think that there's a possibility that um, somebody like him and and Wendell, where you know you're just not you're not sure of the playing time. I, you know, if you're reading between the lines, and if Mattingly has any power, you may see some more, you know, at bats for Birdie and Wendell, and maybe is it fewer for Brian Anderson, and fewer for is Avi Garcia going to start losing some playing time? Not in year one of a 40 year deal. That's what his GM is probably telling him. <laughs> this is a weird lineup because I mean, obviously jazz isn't there right now, but they're older than you think. Garrett Cooper, 31, Joey Wendell, 32. Soler is on the wrong side of 30. Now Aguilar's 32. Brian Anderson's 29. Avi's 31. Jesus Sanchez, one of their few like young regulars other than jazz having a, Somewhat disappointing year, I think. Miguel Rojas is is thirty three. Stallings, who they traded for, is thirty two. Like they just, they do not have the rest of that young core of position players in place. It really is kind of like Jazz by himself right now, and then a lot of questions about how good Jesus Sanchez is, and then where that that next player or two is going to come from. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I would um, I would take a look at like I'm looking at projected WRC plus. Um, you know, for the Luan team. Diaz going to get a chance? And uh, I'm trying to pick a loser. First, you have to pick the loser, right? Yeah, you got to start figuring out who they're going to move. But I, I think they're a trade deadline team that is going to do something significant. We've talked Jesus about them. Aguilar. Does he go to a contender as a bench bat? I mean, he's 32, and I mean, he does he doesn't strike out that much, so he's a little different. But he also isn't really hitting for a ton of power. And right now, he's he's a league average bat as a first baseman, so he doesn't really have that much value to the to them long term. And if you if you let Jesus Aguilar go, you just at least open up a place for Cooper to play, you know, and then you open up basically an outfield spot, and then you maybe call up J.J. Bleday. I mean, that's the, the question if, if Bleday is going to come up. But also the question is, is Bleday any different from these guys? Because he strikes out a lot in the minors. The one thing he does do better than almost anybody at the big league level is take a walk. Um, and maybe maybe he could kind of uh, come up and actually have a power. The other thing I would do if I were the Miami Marlins is consider changing the fences. Move them in. It's just um, it just seems like you know more the more sort of up the middle your your park can play the the better it is. Uh, it, so you you don't have to overpay for Avi Garcia. You know what I mean. I think they had to overpay for Avi Garcia in terms of at least years in order to get him into that bar, ballpark. And I think if you make it play more fair, then you, you, you become more of a player for, for hitters. I think Garcia was in a position that maybe he and his agent knew was probably a once-in-a-career situation for him to get a multi-year contract, especially he was 30 this winter. So they knew if he was going to get you know, four years at an AAV of 13 million this was it like this was their only chance so yeah i don't know if we can look at that and say yeah, the marlins had to reach because of their park i don't i don't know mm. for sure same stuff we talked about some of the other free agents that have signed though swinging at more pitches outside the zone than he has in recent years not barreling up quite as many balls like it it seems like it could easily be a guy that's just making some bad swing decisions trying to put the entire offense on his back and then making the offense worse in the process yeah, they have the sixth worst chase rate in baseball, so there could be some questions for their hitting coach, you know, especially when you see some of these guys chasing more than they have in the past. Yeah, pretty strange. Also, not uh, obviously not pulling the ball as much as he did a season ago with the Brewers either, going up the middle actually kind of a lot, hitting the ball on the ground a ton, 55.6% ground ball rate for Avi Garcia. I could actually see myself having him on a good number of rosters oh. next season. I think there's a chance I'd even trade for him in an NL, NL in an NL only league right now, just because I don't think the playing time goes anywhere. I think Brian De La Cruz could play a little bit more, depending on what they do at the trade deadline. No sure thing, but at least he's younger than some of the other guys that they're currently trotting out there on an everyday basis. Uh, you point out a good thing: the Marlins are uh, fifth worst uh, have the have the fifth lowest pull percentage in baseball. Um, and the third highest ground ball rate. So I don't know if they have a hitting coach that's saying, hey, let's beat the shift by hitting oppo ground balls, but I have to tell you that 
that is a valuable tool I think you can add to a larger toolbox. It should not be the goal. Right. That's not the primary not going to win a lot of primary philosophy it's sort of ground balls (laughs) it's like the thing the thing you do as an extra thing like oh you could take this pitch the other way we got to make sure we're we're covering that like brandon belt last night bunted in the shift to get on base in the ninth inning you know down by three good well done you can't you can't win the game with a homer there so and they're giving it to you so go take it but it's not the same as, as saying, okay, let's work on hitting oppo ground balls in VP again today, guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. I got one other positional question for you, thinking about the pie slice rule, thinking about something we've seen deployed a little bit more often in the last couple of years. It's really more impactful on a short list of players than most things, but do you think the league should preemptively make a rule about the number of players that are allowed to stand on the outfield grass? Should we try to do something to get away from the four-man outfield? That was part of the the rule that they did do. They said that two on each side and, and none on the outfield. And and none on the outfield. Yeah, so they had to stand on the infield grass. Um, I think there was an interesting piece. I think it was a BP that said that a, a big part of what has happened um, – in suppressing runs has been outfield shifting. Um, and that it, it doesn't even have to do with necessarily four outfielders. It, it has to do with what the outfielders are doing out there, where they're standing, how much they move. I, I see a, a fairly aggressive sh- outfield shift every time I go to a game in San Francisco because they've got triples alley there. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they, they have a guy stand in triples alley. Now, if you know what that looks like, that's, I don't know, like 30, 40 feet off of the line. (laughs) It's also 30, 40 feet off the line. They put Mm -hmm. the right fielder in triples alley. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason they do that is because it's so big, the right fielder can go get outs. That would be triples and doubles. And he can, he can man that. And then that pushes your center fielder over to left center. And then your, uh, your left fielder plays closer to the line. And that's partially because one of the kindest places for power in AT&T is actually down the line. Uh, to left field so i think you get 
you get some catches along the wall there. You can rob some homers there with your left fielder. Also, you can you can protect Jock Peterson, who's probably a DH. Uh, and uh, and you put your center fielder, and he he gobbles up everything from center to to left center. And your and your right fielder stands in triples alley. That's a fairly aggressive shift. People have written about it. People have noticed it. It's not. Um, I'm not telling you a lot of people, listeners have heard this before, but I'm just saying uh, that's the kind of shift that has been reducing uh, the, the the batting average on balls in play has gone down further than the batting average on ground balls has. So it is in the hundreds now. It's in the low hundreds, I think. And uh, I think it went from like 160 to 120 or something. Um, I don't think there's anything you can do about that, dude. Unless you start drawing these lines everywhere, right? I mean, that's the old. That's the one part where that's what I was saying. What it makes me feel uh, about the the pie slice thing. Okay, you draw the pie slice thing, and someone says, "Okay, let's go to work on outfielders." So now you're gonna draw. You're gonna draw left field, center field, and right field on the outfield. Why not? You can cut amazing shapes into the outfield. So you could you could cut it with the the lawnmower. Make it look really nice. Yeah, think about this. What if you extended that pie slice that ends at the dirt all the way to the outfield wall, and then your center fielder had to cover all that space in the middle, and your you corner guys have a had damn to center, good center fielder. <laughs> no more Mike Yastrzemski in center, dude. You better have better have a guy who can fly. That rule would be wild because the, the <laughs> amount of ground a center fielder would have to cover would just be have two dhs in the corner and just everyone would be like i need Billy hamilton that. <laughs> but it's i don't know it's just more among the many things that we could see at some point but i'm just looking at that going well there's there's a line that we're, we're adding right now just extend it on out there and that, it probably pushes the the it's corner guys too, too far too small, to the side yeah. that's probably but then, but then you're having much. like now you're having lines on lines and, and it um so i uh i like progress i like it's already kind of on, on this picture too you can see it i like improving the game I like more strategies for winning. And when you tell them you can't put people somewhere, that's fewer strategies for winning. But it's yeah. also more strategies for offense. Now you can have right. more like Nicky Lopez. Do we want more Nicky Lopez? <laughs> no, I think I want guys that hit the ball hard into the outfield to not be robbed of a double because we the just know just where they're going to hit there. it. And because it gets because it's so difficult to hit the ball hard into a gap anyway, given mm. that pitching keeps getting better and better and better. You gotta have something. Hey, good. You hit a you hit a ball that was you you barreled a ball into the outfield that actually got caught because the shift in the outfield was was set perfectly. That's probably a little too far in favor of the team playing defense. It's like good job on you figuring that out, but we actually want those balls to be balls in play. Here's the dumbest thing about it, though. I think you could draw the lines for left, center, and right, and you wouldn't change outfield batting average and balls in play because we did the same thing on the infield. We told two people on each side and it didn't change batting average on balls and on play in the ground. I think the genie's out of the bag. It's the Pandora's box. It's open. People are now very good at looking at clusters of hits and saying where the defender should play. And even if you draw some lines in the outfield, you'll have your left fielder standing right on the line. You know what I mean? 
you'll have your center fielders standing right on that right field line and you'll still you won't i think it won't change a thing well hey we'll see we'll see if that's the next adjustment but uh pie slice rule florida state league in the second half and we'll see if that actually gets pushed to the big leagues maybe as soon as next season i imagine it's the kind of thing that could show up pretty quickly i think that's when i'm saying i I heard something like i think yes i think basically abandoning the shift and and then you can actually hear it in between the lines between what rob manfred um and said at his availability at the all-star game that that pitch clock and shift rules are on the table for next year so if pitch clock and shift rules are on the table for next year and we tried a shift rule that didn't change anything and now we're putting this pie slice thing in, if the pie slice thing works, it will be the rule that they put in next year when they put in the pitch clock, the, the pitch clock and the and the uh, pie slice rule or, or the, the shift rules. I, they wouldn't put in a rule that they know doesn't work. I don't think they would. <laughs> I can't say with absolute confidence. <laughs> You're probably right. I'm not certain that you're right. But as always, if you've got questions for us, send us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.